Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. second quarter 2020 financial results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. As a courtesy to others, we ask that each participant limit themselves to one question and, if necessary, one follow-up question. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. Please note that questions will be taken from financial analysts only. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by zero for an operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, April 8, 2020, at 8 o'clock a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Furthermore, I would like to remind you that today's presentation may contain forward-looking statements about Good Foods' current and future plans, expectations, and intentions, results, level of activity, performance, goals, or achievements, or other future events of de or developments. As such, please take a moment to read the disclaimer on forward-looking statements on slide two of the presentation. I would now like to turn the meeting over to your host for today's call, Jonathan Ferrari, Good Food Chief Executive Officer. Mr. Ferrari, you may proceed. Thank you. Bonjour à tous et bienvenue à la belle conférence de marché Good Food pour présenter les résultats financiers du deuxième trimestre de l'exercice 2020, clos le 29 février. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this call for Good Food Market Corp, in which we'll present the financial results for the second quarter of fiscal 2020, ended on February 29th. I am pleased to be joined on the call today by Philip Adam, Good Food's Chief Financial Officer, and by Neil Kagi, President and Chief Operating Officer. Our press release, reporting second quarter results, was published earlier this morning. It can be found on our website at makegoodfood.ca and on CDAR. Please be aware that we will refer to certain metrics and non-IFRS measures. Where possible, these measures are identified and reconciled to the most comparable IFRS measures in our MDNA. Moreover, note that financial results presented today have no impact from the current COVID-19 pandemic, which will impact good food in the financial results to be presented for the third quarter of fiscal 2020. Finally, let me remind you that all figures expressed on today's call are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise stated. Turning to slide three, which outlines our key financial highlights for the second quarter. We reported strong second quarter results, continuing our robust growth and margin improvement momentum. We achieved record levels on key metrics, including subscribers, gross merchandise sales, revenue, gross margin, and EBITDA margin. We also ended the quarter in a very healthy financial position with close to $70 million in cash, cash equivalents and restricted cash, supported by our recent completed $30 million financing. There are a few items I wanted to highlight on this slide. Again, this quarter, our growth in revenue outpaced our growth in gross merchandise sales as a result of lower credits and incentives as a percentage of GMS. Most of this decrease was driven by lower incentives, highlighting our ability to execute highly targeted marketing campaigns with strong results as demonstrated by the addition of 16,000 net new subscribers this quarter. Moreover, the growth in revenue and gross merchandise sales was in part driven by an increase in average order value year over year, underscoring Good Foods' ability to provide a more complete offering and to deliver a fuller grocery basket to Canadians. Finally, our margin improvement continues to build momentum, with adjusted EBITDA margin improving 10 percentage points. This improvement is the result of strong execution at multiple levels of the operation, and a further demonstration of our ability to generate operating leverage. Moreover, we have seen a, a solid profit margin progression in our meal kit business, 
in which we are now observing positive EBITDA across Canada this quarter, reinforcing our strong profitability momentum. I will now turn to slide four to present key recent business highlights. During the second quarter, we continue to expand our operating footprint and ramp up of our product offering to enhance member experience and expand our market reach. Let me provide you with an update on some of our key initiatives. First, in the beginning of March, we opened our new 84,000 square foot production facility located in the greater Vancouver area. We made our first deliveries of meal kits and private label products during the first week of March. Volume is increasing every week and our hiring process is progressing faster than expected. We will continue to ramp up production in the coming weeks and shift our focus on on enhancing equipment and automation. We expect the facility to be servicing all our British Columbia uh, orders by the end of our fiscal year. As needed over time, we plan on expanding the capacity of the Vancouver Fulfillment Center with the space already available by installing more assembly and production capacity within the 84,000 square feet. As previously indicated, being closer to our British Columbia members will translate into a higher quality experience for our subscribers, while also unlocking operational and logistics efficiencies. As of today, we are very pleased with the ramp-up process in Vancouver, and considering the current circumstances, the launch of this new facility is very timely, as it's helping us to meet the high demand in Western Canada. Combined with our existing footprint, and our upcoming build-out of a Toronto facility, we firmly believe we are well-positioned to enter our next phase of growth. Second, we continue to make progress in building our new meal solutions offering. We launched several new private-label grocery products in the quarter with an always-growing offering of everyday grocery essentials available to, to our members, all under the Good Food brand name. We are progressing according to plan and at quarter end, we had, we had more than doubled our run rate sales compared to the first quarter of 2020. While in the early stages of development and still a relatively small portion of our business, we see tremendous potential for growth in the future. Going forward, we will exponentially grow the variety of grocery products available nationwide in order to work towards fulfilling our members' complete grocery basket. As we significantly ramp up private label grocery essentials, we will continue to optimize our product count by gathering member feedback and monitoring sales and product reviews. Overall, in addition to addressing our members' needs and enhancing the total value of customer orders, these products will be a key driver in taking a larger share of Canadians' food grocery basket. Third, we completed a $30 million financing through the issuance of convertible debentures. This well-timed transaction will help us execute our growth strategy in the coming months, with funds earmarked for the build-out of a GTA fulfillment center and additional capital expenditures, including increased investment in automation. We are currently in negotiation for a site to build out a production and distribution facility in Toronto, which remains on track to be operational within the next 24 months. Finding the right site requires time and creativity, but the current context which is impacting commercial real estate demand levels, may work in our favor. Finally, in recent months, we launched Good Courier, an initiative to better ensure the quality of members' experience by taking control of the last-mile delivery in certain key markets. We are pleased with the initial success of this initiative and the improved cost structure of our shipping logistics. As we deliver larger grocery baskets to our members, we believe that managing the delivery experience and improving logistics costs will become increasingly important. In summary, our expanded footprint and product offering, supported by our strong financial position and continued initiatives, improving our margin profile, have put us in a strong position to continue on our path to growth and to become the Canadian leader in online grocery. On to slide five. I would like to say a few words regarding COVID-19 before turning the call over to Pivot. As COVID-19 continues to take hold across Canada and globally, we are all facing challenges in our daily lives of a magnitude never seen before. The 
Current circumstances have accelerated the use and adoption of grocery delivery, a trend beneficial to good food so far. Certain studies have even brought forward their estimates of online grocery penetration, estimating that within five years, we could now see 20% of groceries done online in Canada. While the pandemic may be positive for subscriber growth, increased order rates, and average order values, we are also experiencing pressure on food costs and labor shortages, which are challenging our operations and supply chain. With that said, our top priority remains the health and safety of our employees and our members. We have taken a series of important steps early on in this crisis. We've heightened already strict hygiene standards by enforcing work-from-home and social distancing policies, purchasing and consistently using non-contact thermometers, as well as procuring hand sanitizer, protective masks, and installing additional hand-washing stations. We've hired more than 500 new employees to face demand while increasing the compensation of our production workers. We've increased inventory on more complex queues and took several measures to alleviate pressure on our operations to make sure we can continue to face the increasing demand. We've established a weekly update to our customers, ensuring transparent communication on how Good Food is handling this quickly evolving crisis. Finally, we have expanded our financial commitment to the Breakfast Club of Canada in this period where schools are closed and we are providing meal to our frontline healthcare workers. Rest assured, Good Food is committed to helping feed Canadians across the country as best we can through our quality products and our recent initiatives. On that note, I will now turn the call over to Philippe to go through our financial performance. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. We can now turn to slide six. Slide six provides details on subscribers and revenue. We continue to demonstrate strong growth this quarter, driven by highly successful marketing and reactivation campaigns in the strong demand months of January and February. At the end of the second quarter, Good Food subscriber base reached 246,000 with the addition of 16,000 net new active subscribers during the quarter. Revenue has also grown increasingly to a record $58.8 million, up $22.2 million, or 61%, compared to the corresponding period in 2019. This growth was driven by a combination of factors, including penetration from coast to coast, with a higher number of members from Western Canada and Ontario, a price increase effective on November 7, and a broader offering of private-label grocery products and meal solutions leading to an increase of average order value year over year. This exponential growth combined with our solid execution allowed us to proudly surpass the $200 million mark in LTM revenue. Turning to slide seven, gross merchandise sales also increased significantly to $68.9 million, up 48% year over year. The solid growth momentum of the second quarter allowed us to reach the $300 million mark in gross merchandise sales run rate for the first time. After only five years in business, we believe this is quite an achievement as it demonstrates not only our ability to execute, but also a fast and sticky adoption rate. When looking at the relationship between GMS and revenue, it is important to highlight that revenues grew more than GMS as we achieve a level of incentive and credits of 14.7% of gross merchandise sales, well below the 20% average for fiscal 2019. Incentives are still an effective customer acquisition strategy, and as we continue to build brand recognition, increase our loyal subscriber base, and offer high-quality service, they will likely represent a lower figure as a percentage of sales. It is important to note the reversal of $1.2 million of unused credit and canceled account at a positive impact of 1.8% on credits and incentives as a percentage of sales and positive impact on profit margins. While the reversal of unused credit by cancel accounts has always been a part of our regular business, we have historically only applied it once a year in the second quarter. Please now turn to slide eight, which compares our gross profit and adjusted gross profit. Our solid execution and operational strength have translated into continued margin improvement, despite second quarter margins being typically impacted by higher shipping and logistic costs due to winter weather conditions. 
or gross profit increased to $17.8 million on a record gross margin surpassing the 30% mark for the first time, standing at 30.3%, an increase of 9.4 percentage points year over year. Our adjusted gross profit reached $28 million and our adjusted gross margin reached 40.6%, increasing 2.8 percentage points year over year on track to reach our long-term goal of 45%. The increase in gross margin and adjusted gross margin resulted primarily from lower production costs as a percentage of revenue and lowering net costs for food, packaging, and shipping due to increased operational efficiencies, automation, increased density among the delivery zones, purchasing power with key suppliers, and lower incentive and credits as a percentage of revenue. This was partially offset by investments related to new product offerings. The next slide shows our adjusted EBITDA and net loss. Our adjusted EBITDA loss in the second quarter decreased from the previous quarter to $2.9 million, or a margin of minus 5%, which represents a robust improvement of 10 percentage points year over year. The increase in adjusted EBITDA margin resulted primarily from higher revenues and gross margin, as well as the operating leverage effect as SG&E expenses as a percentage of revenue decreased compared to last year. It was offset in part by additional expenses coming from the launch of new products. In addition, we've seen a solid profit margin progression in our meal kit business, in which we are now proud to observe positive EBITDA across Canada this quarter, reinforcing our strategy and our strong profitability momentum. Similarly, net loss improved from $6.5 million in the second quarter last year to $3.4 million this year. Of this improvement, $1.3 million is due to a deferred income tax recovery related to the convertible debentures. Turning to slide 10 for cash flow and capital expenditures. In the second quarter, we use cash flow from operating activities of $3.9 million, primarily due to an unfavorable variance in non-cash operating working capital. This is explained in large part by variances of deferred revenue and payables as our new product offering has currently less favorable payment terms as we are onboarding several new suppliers per quarter. As we increase volume and build relationships with these suppliers, we expect to be able to get more favorable terms over time. In February 2020, Gertrude announced and completed a $30 million financing through the issuance of convertible debentures. We intend to use the net proceeds from the offering to fund the build-out of a new Toronto production and distribution facility to further investment in capital projects at our existing production facilities in Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver, as well as Toronto, and for general corporate purpose. In the quarter, the capital expenditures of $2.2 million were mainly related to the build-out of the Vancouver Fulfillment Center, the construction related to the partial in-housing of ready-to-eat production at our ICMORE facility, and the purchase of new automation equipment. For the first half of the fiscal year, we invested $3.9 million in capital expenditures. We still expect to spend between $10 and $12 million in capital expenditures in fiscal 2020. With our new financing, we ended the quarter in a very strong financial position with cash, cash equivalent, and restricted cash of close to $70 million. We thus have ample flexibility to grow from current levels and withstand any potential negative impact from the current crisis, if required. Before we conclude, I would just like to make a few comments on our next quarter. As a reminder, our third quarter is usually the start of a slower period, impacted by spring breaks in March across Canada and by the start of the nicer weather in May. However, as we discussed earlier in our call, given the current COVID-19 crisis, our next quarter will probably not follow this typical seasonality pattern. While we've seen top-line trends and negative gross margin impacts emerge from the current pandemic and the measure taken as a result, it remains, remains too early to draw definitive conclusions on the upcoming quarter. This concludes our financial highlights for the second quarter and our prepared remarks for today. Jonathan, Neil, and I will now be pleased to answer any questions you may have. 
you would like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, for any questions, please press star then the number one. And your first question is from Michael Glenn with Raymond James. Hey, uh, good morning. Um, so just uh, just want to dig in. You're, you're talking about positive EBITDA quarter uh, uh, today. So can you just maybe provide a little bit of insight into um, what we should expect to see from you guys from a marketing spend uh, in, in the coming period? Have you, have you been able to scale back the marketing uh, to a large degree just given the, the surge in demand that you're seeing? Good morning. Uh, just to clarify the EBITDA comment, uh, we were talking about our meal kit segments uh, within Q2, so not uh, um, kind of talking about Q3 to date. So within Q2, um, our, our, we're seeing profitability within uh, our meal kit segments. Uh, Phil, is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Um, it, it, it's it's based on our internal calculation, and um, and yeah, we're, we're seeing uh, profitability in Q2 for the meal kit business, and a very strong progression year over year from that uh, from that business as well. And then I can answer your second. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I can answer the second part of your question as well in terms of uh, Q3. Um, so, you know what what we mentioned so far is we're seeing an increase in uh, in demand from both existing uh, subscribers uh, as well as as new subscribers to our platform. <clears throat> um, it's also leading to some increased uh, uh, average order values as. Some of our members are trying products that they haven't tried in the past and, and uh, building up the size of their order value. Um, in terms of, uh, of marketing, um, you know, we're, we're, we're building out a plan that's flexible to adapt based on um, how we're building out capacity uh, as well as uh, the trends that we're seeing. Uh, it's certainly favorable for uh, our unit economics so far in terms of uh, customer acquisition costs and um, the average credit and incentive per sign-up. Um, but, you know, we just want to be careful in terms of the type of forward-looking statement we give. We're only a few weeks into the uh, to the pandemic, uh, so we need to be flexible in terms of our strategy. I think what's what's more exciting to us is, is the longer-term view. Um, so thinking a little bit less week-to-week and, and month-to-month, but more thinking about how this crisis can have a major impact on online grocery adoption, um, in, in a very permanent way. So there's a lot of reports and, and research that are coming out right now. Um, you know, when we were talking about 10% online grocery pe- penetration within the next five years, that was a, a $13 billion market in Canada. Um, and I would say the reports that we're seeing now have shifted to 20% uh, online grocery adoption within the next five years. So, you know, we're talking about a potential market size that, uh, that might be twice as big as, as what we originally thought. Okay. Um, thanks. And then, and then, just um, in terms of, can you can you provide some uh, insight into how the how, how you saw the subscriber ads sort of uh, the cadence of that through the quarter? I, I, did it start off just sort of normal, and then and then you saw um, a, a rapid escalation? Has that has that tapered off at all, or, or has it leveled off at this point in time? Are you talking about Q two or Q three? Q3, like what you've seen quarter to date? Uh, yeah, so what we've seen is uh, uh, continued demand, um, I would say. You know, what what we saw was um, the increase in, in demand started approximately March uh, 13th when um, the Quebec government closed uh, schools in Quebec, uh, and then that was followed by uh, additional closures and, and non-essential businesses closing, um, and so so we we saw the impact continue uh, into the beginning of the month of April. Um, we've been um, you know careful in, in managing supply and demand, so um, you know making sure that we uh, were staffing up and and that the additional safety protocols that are that that we're putting in place. Um, you know, can can be put in place to continue to keep everybody safe. So, you know, we want to be careful in terms of the guidance that we give for for Q3. In fact, we we don't want to give any guidance in Q3, and we you know we prefer to talk about 
um, you know, some of the positive trends that we're seeing. Uh, and and Nate, Neil will be able to comment as well on some of the uh, um, uh, pressure that we're seeing uh, on some of our cost structure as well due to the crisis. Maybe just to, to add to that too, Michael, um, subscriber ads is one part of revenue and profitability generation. So you have uh, obviously the order rate and the average order value as well. Uh, and if you look at the, the last two years, call it, we've been able to increase average order value um, and order rate has kind of stayed flat. So it's those three things coming together creates uh, revenue or demand generation. So it's not only subscriber ads that go uh, very, very quick. Um, it can be, um, you can see a, a large jump in revenue just from our existing order, uh, our existing client base starting to order uh, at a higher level or higher basket value. Got it. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll jump back into queue. Your next question is from Ryan Lee with National Bank Financial. Hi guys, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Just um, the first one, uh, in terms of when you guys announced the 500 new hires um, sometime in March, um, was that primarily to staff Vancouver or was that more of a response to, to kind of the increase in demand related to COVID-19? And are, are you able to share what the, the net increase in employees is? Yeah, hey Ryan, it's me. I'll take uh, take a stab at that one. Um, so I think we uh, we we've been able to hire actually more than the 500 people right now across the country. Um, Vancouver specifically has uh, has added a small number to that, um, and I would say is is more or less independent of that number. Like we had a we had a ramp plan for Vancouver that. Um, would hit uh, the full BC volume, as John mentioned on the call, uh, by kind of end of fiscal year. That's still the case, um, even with the increased demand from uh, from COVID-19. So um, it, it's been a small percentage of that 500 that shifted to specifically Vancouver. Obviously, our our, uh, our Calgary facility is uh, is also experiencing a lot of demand and hiring quite aggressively as well. But the majority, I would say, has been in our uh, our two Montreal facilities, uh, both for breakfast and for uh, for meal kits. As far as the net additions, um, we we can't share any numbers around that, or we don't want to share any numbers around it. Uh, I think we're facing the same pressures as all uh, essential businesses that are continuing to operate on the ground. So uh, you know, attendance rates have have definitely come down. Um, pay has gone up. Um, safety procedures are. Uh, you know, a lot more um, cumbersome um, and uh, to the operation. So, I think net we uh, we we don't have the actual number to to share on the call, or we don't feel comfortable sharing the call. But we would anticipate continuing to to hire well above that 500 to continue to to meet demand, and then uh, be able to backfill anybody that um, has uh, has been asked to stay home or um, or decide not to come in. Okay, and then let's see. Thanks for that. Um, in terms of, I guess some of the challenges you that that was sent out in the the letter that John sent to subscribers last week. In terms of, is is that an impact on the supply chain that you expect to to kind of continue throughout the quarter, or or are you making some progress of kind of uh, mitigating some 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 of the impacts there? Is it like just because it was too much too early? Um, or is it something you can you can deal with throughout the quarter and kind of uh, kind of mitigate and, and get through that as as you progress through the quarter, or is it you think something that's more structural? Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination for sure. Um, like the if we talk about supply chain just being uh, ingredients and food costs, uh, there's positive and negatives on that side as well. So. As you transition to spring season, uh, summer season around the world, or around our growing, our main growing regions in uh, in California and Mexico and Canada, um, we can definitely start to see increased uh, produce uh, availability. Um, so that's always a positive thing on on pricing and, and supply chain. 
Um, obviously, when uh, when everything started to go into lockdown two or three weeks ago, uh, all the panic buying uh, sent everyone's supply chains into a frenzy. So there was some pressure on the on the cost and availability. We were still able to meet all the demand that uh, um, our clients were asking of us. Um, so I think there's there's uh, there's pockets. Overall, grocery volumes have kind of stabilized from our. Uh, Understanding now, um, it's not the the big spike that we saw three or four weeks ago, and um, and definitely, um, I think with this stability, there's still challenges, uh, but they're much more um, isolated rather than just full across the whole supply chain. And the other thing I would add is, um, you know, we've been able to diversify the supply chain uh, quite a bit recently to help. Make sure that we're uh, we're not overly affected by pricing um, or availability, uh, and we can also change the menu, right? So, you know, we haven't had to put uh, you don't have to put all the items that are at uh, at spike pricing um, on the menu. And then the last thing I would say, just on the on the positive side, um, is uh, commodity pricing coming down helps uh, helps everything quite a bit. Like oil being at twenty bucks a barrel, definitely logistics costs. Uh, can come down from from that, um, but uh, there, there's challenges everywhere. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And then lastly, um, in terms of your strategy of rolling out the the grocery private label um, SKUs, has that has that changed because of COVID nineteen? Are, are you are you accelerating that, uh, making changes in, uh, on what kind of products and, and the number of SKUs that you're putting up? Um, just to be able to better address kind of uh, a more complete basket from from some of your subscribers. Yeah, I can uh, I can take a step at that one as well. Um, so definitely, as as John mentioned, like we we want to be in a position to take advantage of uh, the this massive adoption or increased adoption and, and the market size of online groceries. So. Um, we've been uh, able to actually accelerate the launch of some of the SKUs that we uh, we thought would be, um, you know, most impactful uh, in in their grocery in our clients' grocery essential basket. Um, at the same time, with the challenges from an employee base um, and supply chain, we don't want to go too quickly. Um, so I would say we're probably going to stabilize for a little bit here and make sure that um, we're adding intelligently. Um, uh, the right number of, of SKUs and the ones that matter to uh, most of our clients. Um, I think short term, that's kind of what we're we're aiming to do. And longer term, I think it just helps uh, helps um, across the board uh, solidify in the minds of Canadians that we're we're really the number one online grocery brand, not just uh, a meal kit company or a meal solution business. Okay, thank you so much. Your next question is from. Frederick Tremblay with Desjardins. Thanks. Good morning. Um, with the new shelter-at-home measures in place for a few weeks now, I was just wondering if, you've, uh, if you're starting to see some repeat orders from the new customers that may have ordered a box in, let's say, week one or week two of, of, uh, of this COVID-19 situation, um, or do you feel like some of the demand was more one-time pantry loading in nature? So we are seeing um, continued orders from uh, the new subscribers that were added on. Uh, so I would say, um, you know, there's there's an impact in in demand from both new subscribers and existing subscribers. Um, but the the effect from uh, the order rate and existing subscribers uh, currently is is larger than uh, um, the effect from new subscribers. Okay, thanks for that. And uh, I know in the past you've stated that your meal kit business is about 90% of the overall business. Just curious, curious to, be, um, to get a bit of color on what the average basket looks like in recent weeks with COVID-19. Um, has it shifted in a significant way more towards the private label items? If you, if you had to you know, provide uh, a bit of an update on the the split by category there, what, what, what could you say? Yeah, so we, uh, in recent weeks, what I would say is, um, you know, that the meal kit business continues to be the, the 
largest revenue driver. So, you know, the, the biggest part of the orders and the biggest part of the business by far is still uh, meal kits. Um, I would say where we've seen the largest uh, percentage increase in, in growth is indeed in the private label uh, groceries. Uh, so we're seeing um, a larger percentage of orders include at least one uh, grocery essential item. Uh, and we're seeing the average <clears throat> uh, number of grocery essentials that are included um, in each box increase as well. So that's been, uh, you know, a real bright spot for us. Uh, it's created an opportunity for um, customers to, to try out um, our private label essentials with um, with no specific marketing initiative uh, or credits attached to it. Um, and so that's been really positive. I think, you know, in, in, in this current environment, um, the, the focus is around, uh, you know, one, making sure that our uh, employees and customers stay safe. Two, um, you know, managing um, the, the supply chain and, and the labor uh, shortages that Neil was talking about. And then three, making sure that we're creating um, habits within our customer base uh, that are going to last longer than, um, you know, just a few weeks or a couple months. We really want to make sure that we, we use this opportunity to create lasting habits within our customer base. And, and if I can add to that, John, um, uh, Fred, in, in the past we said that the new businesses represent uh, approximately 10% of, of our sales, um, even though we're seeing very good growth in uh, private label and ready-to-eat uh, solution right now. Um, relatively speaking, like John mentioned, Milkit is still the biggest driver and the 90 to 10% flip is still uh, relatively accurate. Thank you. And again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question is from Ginny Wang with 8 Capital. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, just first one on the uh, supply chain disruptions they're experiencing. It, you know, is it mostly labor shortages? You mentioned food costs, sourcing ingredients, kind of, I guess, could you elaborate a little bit on what the you know, main drivers of supply chain disruptions are? And also, are you experiencing any of that in sourcing your grocery items as well? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, so the main, I would say the main challenge, uh, as we were kind of alluded to on the previous question, um, started off as supply chain and then has shifted towards uh, labor. Um, as you know, as the, the crisis and lockdowns uh, become prolonged, um, as you guys are well aware, people uh, stay home whether they're um, healthy or uh, sick or scared. So um, definitely trying to make sure that we have the right labor that's coming in that's well-trained um, and, uh, and staying safe within the facility. Um, supply chain would be the, the most, uh, the second most challenging part. Um, you know, just to, to put into context, like we have supply chain challenges uh, pre-COVID uh, crisis as well uh, on a week-to-week -week basis um, to be able to source the right ingredients at the right quality and the right price for our, our clients. So um, I think pricing has definitely come up. Availability has come up. Um, suppliers ha are facing the same types of labor shortages and, and challenges that we, uh, we have. Um, some of our suppliers have had uh, 60-70% of their, their labor force uh, not show up, um, which uh, obviously impacts the amount of output that they can do. So I think if I were to rank it, it would definitely be employees um, being the most challenging and then uh, supply chain. Um, and, uh, and like I said, there are bright spots as well. Obviously, logistics uh, has been a um, – there's nobody on the road, so you can get more deliveries done. Uh, fuel cost comes down. Um, density goes up. Um, the uh, the average order value increase helps us uh, amortize some of the fixed costs of uh, of getting a, a basket out to clients as well. So there's there's a lot of positives and a lot of negative at the same time. Okay, got it. Thank you. And in terms of gross margins, you know, you've mentioned in the press release expectations that fixed costs as a percentage of revenue will continue to decrease with the company's continued growth, which should benefit gross margins. Um, is this what we're expecting to see in Q3 and accounting for the current COVID crisis, or is this more of a longer-term expectation? Um, I can take this one. Um, it's it's, it's longer-term. So um, if you look at our Q2 in 2020, uh, we're able to show operating leverage from Q2 2019. So 
uh, the DNA were um, were smaller as a percentage of sales in uh, in, in this quarter, which is uh, always great to see and to be able to demonstrate. And for us, it's a it's a longer longer view in a sense uh, that we are uh, aiming at 45% gross margin target and if it's uh, at 15%, so definitely the offering leverage has, uh, has a big effect on this. Um, we might uh, might be able to demonstrate progress um, every quarter, but definitely um, the operating leverage is a, is a longer-term view for us. Okay, and and one question on the positive EBITDA um, across Canada for your meal kit business. Um, is this including overall corporate expenses, or is this more of a kind of meal kit segment uh, positive EBITDA? Um, so, so, so we look at our, our, our business internally, um, and uh, and we um, we were definitely at different stages. Like we started the meal kit uh, business five years ago, and when we look at online grocery and private label, it's fairly new. So for us, it's not at the same stage. Therefore, we have two different profitability profile for now. Even though we're we're looking at um, at adding the same margin over time. Um, so for us, for us, the, the meal kit. Profitability is, um, is 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 how we look at our business, and it's basically um, a proof that um, that when you have a more stable, more established business, uh, you are able to show profit. So it's, it demonstrates the profitability of our business model, and it also speaks of um, of the, the fact that the other business are not at the same stage and, and dragging our gross margin and EBITDA margin. Got it. And, and just one last one for me in terms of just the new hires. Um, you know, they're, they're already training. Are, are they? Uh, are you finding that that's alleviating a lot of the kind of the supply chain, or, or I guess the labor strain, or, or are you still kind of ex- expecting to experience uh, more strain on labor going forward? Uh, tough, very tough to answer the, the question. Obviously, it depends a lot on, uh, on, uh, you know, public perception, fear. Uh, have we flattened the curve from a COVID perspective? It's a lot of external factors that will contribute to that, and we're going to focus on what we can control in the um, in our facilities and with our clients. So, what what I can say is we're going to continue to hire aggressively, and um, the only the only way that we um, we start to to build some significant capacity um, across the country again is through hiring and training. So, you know, it's just keeping. Uh, keeping our foot down, hiring people, um, training them as quickly as possible, separating tasks to be as um, as uh, as kind of single focus, singularly focused as possible in terms of what the uh, the associates are doing, um, and uh, and looking for extra extra space to to continue to grow. Got it. I'll turn back to you. Thanks. Your next question is from Ravelli Azal with Canical Works. Morning, guys. Thank you for hosting the call. Um, my first question is with regard uh, to customers. Uh, do you have to waitlist any customers at this point, or are you accepting all cust- uh, all new customers um, that want to utilize good food services? We are currently um, restricting certain delivery days uh, for new customers. So um, that has, um, you know, limited uh, some of the demand on, on our peak days uh, in order to prioritize our existing customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also, um, uh, you know, I would say shifted some of our marketing focus into uh, Western Canada where we have uh, more excess capacity during, uh, due to the uh, launch of the new facility. Uh, so we've been able to uh, make those adjustments without uh, starting a wait list so far. Got it. And uh, then based on your sensitivity analysis, when you factor in your manufacturing capacity, uh, you know, supply chain, uh, 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 what do you think your, you can get your revenues to or your total customer base to at this point in time, um, what, you can, what you can handle? Um, you know, I think given the, the situation is evolving uh, every single day, um, you know, it, it's a um, it's an answer that we would uh, you know not feel comfortable um, giving a specific number on this call. Um, you know, the reasons for that is um, you know based on the the supply um, challenge.
challenges that we see as well as um, the labor uh, issues that we talked about. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's important for us to uh, continue building the capacity to service the needs of Canadians across the country. Um, and, you know, the, the largest uh, challenge in this situation is, is really creating predictability in the business on a, on a weekly uh, cadence for our, our operations uh, and production staff. Um, so, you know, we'll, we're, we're continuing to work on that internally, um, but we're still early on in, in this crisis. Completely understand. And then just moving on to uh, internalizing the last mile delivery partner, can you speak about how we should be thinking about your delivery costs now versus in the past? How widespread is this uh, internalization? Um, uh, any color on that or quantification will be helpful. Yeah, here we go. Um, so we, we have uh, we had launched uh, pilots of of, uh, of our good career platform uh, in the past and and saw very positive results. Um, so far, we've tended to focus uh, exclusively on urban centers where we have uh, where we have a facility. Um, We've, uh, I think, pre, just pre-crisis, we also launched a little bit in the GTA. So it would be available in uh, in most of our four major markets right now. Um, you know, we've seen uh, we've seen cost reductions uh, and experience benefits from it. Um, these are not, you know, these are not assets we own or or or, uh, or drivers that we uh, we employ, but uh, through partnerships, we've been able to to develop this um, this business model. Um, I think you know, from a from a strategic standpoint, this has always been um, what we've we've trended towards. Um, starting off with larger carriers, and as we build density in, in certain regions, we want to go towards uh, lower cost or different types of pay models where we can uh, we can take advantage of having one driver do 100 or 150 uh, good food deliveries on a single uh, on a single route. Um, I think the other thing that it allows us to do is, in a online grocery world, um, everyone everyone talks about the challenge of last mile delivery, and obviously, we have solved the the last mile delivery profitability question that that all the online grocers kind of scratch their head about. So we have uh, the infrastructure in place to be able to react to increase the basket size, refrigerated transportation, all kinds of different flexibility now that we can build into the system that. Uh, um, that uh, allows our members to have a better experience um, than uh, than anything else uh, that's offered in the market. Very helpful. Thank you for that. Uh, can you say what your average credit incentives are now versus Q2 of fiscal 20? Complete. I have two questions that I'm not sure if you're comfortable answering. One is that, and then secondly, if you can share what your net customer base is, uh, you know, uh, at the end of uh, uh, last month. No, at this stage, I think <clears throat> I think we should refrain from making those comments. You know, we've we've uh, we've never given any kind of forward-looking guidance in the past, so I think it would be pretty much the worst time in history for us to start <laughs> giving forward-looking guidance. So, you know, we we um, we want to continue being transparent. Um, you know, as we learn new things about the business uh, and and have new factors that we incorporate within our models. Uh, so we'll continue to, to stay transparent with investors and, and the research uh, community as well as uh, making sure that our customers understand the steps we're taking. So far, um, I would say we've had, uh, we've had a significant amount of customers just uh, pouring in and writing into us, uh, you know, even if their, their delivery might have been delayed uh, one day. Uh, you know, the quality of the products that they received were excellent. There's a lot of deliveries. Uh, you know that are that are of course happening on time in full, um, and we've you know the, the outpour that we've received from our customer base uh, in terms of the essential service that we're offering to them is exceptional. We share it with our team every single day, um, and and what I would add as well is you know this is a it's an opportunity for us to build a lasting bond with our customer base that goes you know way years into the future. You know we hope that the emotional relationship uh, that we develop with our customers and the way that we communicated with them throughout this crisis and the way that we uh, played an important role in their household, uh, you know, we, we hope that that bond is one that's going to last for years to come. And there are no further questions at this time.
great. If there's no further questions, uh, I just want to thank everyone for uh, taking the time to be on the call. We're living uh, really incredible times. Uh, we're privileged to be continuing to serve uh, our customer base as an essential service. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, updating you uh, on our Q3 results this summer. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.